have two more chapters in the book of Acts, and um, you know, it's kind of, we're at this point now where, you know, we've been talking about Paul going to Rome all this time, and, and it's, you know, finally the day is here. But, as you might have guessed already from what we've read about Paul's life and how God uses Paul, it's not going to go exactly as, as least the human beings might have planned. And so in chapter 27, starting in verse 1, it says this, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing uh, for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Syrtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began to, the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. 
For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, the bow, sorry. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So Paul's finally on his way, and you know, you might have, you know, if you were Paul, you might have thought like, whew, the worst is behind me. You know, I've spent, you know, all this time from when I was when I first got the vision that I'm going to Rome. You know, I've spent all this time, you know, been kind of mobbed, been falsely accused, had this trial, all of these struggles were going on in my life. And finally, ah, God, you worked it out. I'm going to get on this ship going to Rome. And by the way, that's, that's a good thing in a way, because Paul knows he's going to go to Rome. And I don't think we think about this enough. I don't think we think that what would have happened had Paul been released? Had, had, had the governor said, Paul, you know what? You're, you're not guilty of anything. Just, just go. If Paul hadn't appealed, what would have happened? Well, he would have released Paul. And Paul would have done what we know he would have done. He would have started making plans to go to Rome. The problem is, there's still a lot of people that want to kill Paul. And one of the reasons they couldn't kill Paul was because Paul was under Roman protection. Well, the way things have worked out to this point, when first getting on the ship, Paul might be thinking, this is awesome. First of all, Julius, he's a good dude. He likes me. He's going to, you know, when they set into one port, even lets them go. Who lets prisoners go and hang out with their friends? He has a guard. He has Roman soldiers protecting him. But almost immediately, as Luke starts to describe the journey, we realize it's difficult. This is happening sometime in the fall, probably sometime in late September, early October. And in that, in that time, as, as the fall-winter progresses, the storms are going to become even fiercer, and the weather is going to be more unpredictable. And so we can see that when Luke is describing this stuff to us, you know, we don't really know this. Um, you know, maybe some of you have done a Mediterranean cruise and you might know a little bit about this, but I'm pretty sure it's not exactly the same thing. Um, 
it's difficult. But one of the things that, you know, you might think like, why does Luke go to all this trouble to tell this story? I think it's something we have to, we want to keep in mind as we read this story. We want to see the different people in the story and see them in comparison to Paul. Who is Paul? What is Paul doing? Why is he doing that? And we can go back and we can look, you know, where he, he, you know, he's this, in some sense, a prisoner, even though he, doesn't, he hasn't been charged with a crime and don't know what his penalty would be. But we can see that, that he's presented as this person who's like kind of the calm voice of reason. His motives might be questioned, but because we know Paul, and the way Luke tells us this story, Paul is constantly thinking about everyone else. Paul knew for sure he would get to Rome. Never doubted it. But as this storm starts to come, in, starts to come up, Paul starts to wonder, like, what is that journey going to look like? And who am I going to lose along the way? We know some of his companions are with him. And he has these, you know, he, he looks at the situation, he says, look, guys, I, we really shouldn't continue on. And he, what he's saying is, is very wise. It's what a lot of sailors would have decided. And we don't know all the reasons they decide to take the risk. The, we know like the Roman centurion, he's in no hurry. He's in no hurry. In fact, even when they go a little bit farther, they're only going to gain a little bit of time because they're still going to wait out the winter. They're not, they're not going to push on and then get there in just a few days. We're not totally sure why they continue to press on. But it seems to be that they're more concerned about the business than they are about the people and even their own lives. But not Paul. And we see Paul being, trying to be careful, but he's not, he's not fearful. But we also see Paul as being presented consistently faithful. Not just faithful in what he says, but faithful in how he behaves. And this storm is like just the, the kind of the, the climax of all these other troubles that have come along. <clears throat> and there's a lot of people there's a lot of people who, and I mean Christians, who would have interpreted this as, you know what, I was wrong. God doesn't really want me to go to Rome. He's closed the door. He's giving me all these warning signs. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Every time I try to go to Rome, something bad happens. God, must, I must have been mistaken. Or God must have changed his mind. 
And I know a lot of, a, a lot of Christians who, who base their faith and they really believe they're following God only when everything works out. When everything works out, when everything goes according to plan, it must have been God. You might go, well, what's wrong with that? Isn't there this Bible verse that says God works out all things, you know, for the good of those in Christ Jesus? That's my life verse. Maybe you think that. If you're going to make it your life first, make sure you study it in context and you understand it. Make sure you understand the person who wrote that verse is Paul. That if your interpretation of that is wherever the path is easiest and smoothest and there's the least amount of problems, that must be the way God is leading. You're missing it. You're wrong. Don't know how else to tell you. Following Christ was never a promise that the rest of life would be easy. That you would have success if you just followed God's plan. This kind of thinking, it's it's led to these false beliefs. You know, that God's people always win. They always win. And it's reinforced often in our Christian movies. The Christian team always wins. Can't possibly lose. It leads to this belief that, that suffering is always evil. It's always because of you know, something wrong I did. I'm being punished. Let me just tell you, if that's what you think Christianity is, what's happened is you've allowed Christianity to become contaminated by man's religion. Man's religions say that. In Paul's time, prior to Paul's time, even today, man's religion says you know how we know God is God? Because everything works out for us. Because our nation keeps winning. So that must mean our God is pretty powerful. I wonder if right before Paul got on the, the ship, if his Christian friends gathered around and prayed for Paul's safety. Like, oh, Give him a safe journey. And then they hear about this. But well, what would they have thought if they thought like God was, it was really God if only they, if he had a safe journey. He didn't have a safe journey. And it's going to get worse, by the way, next week. Just to let you know. It leads to this false, these false beliefs about Christianity, about faith, that somehow... God doesn't want or doesn't allow his people to suffer. And this leads to a weak faith. And that weak faith comes along when people begin to doubt when things don't work out. 
You guys have been praying for, you know, one of my uh, good friend's daughters. And a lot of you have been praying for her, and, you know, we got really, you know, great news that she finally, you know, they found a suitable donor so she could have a liver transplant, and the surgery went well. But that didn't make God more God. And if she was still waiting for a donor, or if the surgery hadn't gone well, God wouldn't have been less God. But if you believe that God always has to work everything out the way you think it should work out, you would have no, no alternative but to assume there's something wrong with God. But I think there's another important thing we need to understand about believing that this false belief that, that God's obligated to work everything out is that we miss this very important thing and, and we're going to try to unpack this more as we look at, at Paul's story here. But it's that sometimes God wants His children in the middle of storms. That if all of your life, if you say like, I want to follow Christ, but I only want to follow Christ through the good times. I don't want to follow Him through the storms. If that's what we're thinking, are you really wanting to follow Christ? But you might go, why could God want us in storms? Why could He want us in storms? I can think of two big reasons. One is evangelistic. Evangelistic, sharing of our faith. Why does God want you in, in the middle of storms? It's so that the world can see the difference Christ has made in our lives. So the world can see the faith that we have that, yeah, it's one thing to say I have faith when everything's going well and the seas are calm. But is that same faith, is it that same faith present in the middle of life storms? The world might look at your life, and if your life is really good and everything's going well, and you say, oh, it's because I'm a Christian, even if you don't believe that, that false belief, they're going to look at you and go, if I want to have a good family, good job, I should become a Christian too. But if those same people see you go through the storms of life, the struggles of life, the tragedies of life, and they see your faithful Christian witness, they're going to understand. They're going to see the difference Christ has made. They're going to understand the true gospel. The true gospel is not to, to spare us from the realities of life, but it's to walk through them, to be in them, and to be faithful, just like we see Paul is. How do we handle 
danger? How do we handle loss? How do we handle illness? How do we handle death? Are we like Paul? Are we like Paul, who we see in this story, consistently thinking of others, not using it to his advantage? Being faithful, trusting in God. Or are we like everyone else? Are, are we like the ones that we hear from, the, the, the owner of the ship and the captain who seems more concerned about his profit than he is about the people? Are we more like the sailors we see at the end of the story in verse 30? The sailors who are like, man, we're close to shore, but there's a really big chance because we can't control this ship. We're just going to smash into the rocks. So let's pretend we're putting the anchors down, but what we're really doing is putting the boat down and we're going to get out of here. Because in a little boat, we can row it and we can control it and maybe we can get past these rocks. Thinking of themselves. Are we, as the storms rage, do, does, our, does our faith remain strong or do we begin to, to panic? Do we begin to, to lose heart? And it kind of raises this question. If you've been a Christian for most of your life, or for any period of time of you know, years, and you might go like, you know what? Life's been good. I've never faced struggles. I've never faced challenges. Life's been good. Why do you think that is? Why do you think God would not have you face the storms that everybody else faces? Well, we go back to this story and we look at the, the first four verses, our first eight verses, sorry. And what we see is, is this, this situation is, is going from bad to worse. And, you know, some people, again, have this mistaken thing that following God's call means as I follow, God will keep opening all the doors in front of me along the way. That there will never be any struggles. Well, we've already shown this slide, but we'll show it again. Following God's call does not always mean smooth sailing. If this church is going to be the church that God's called us to be, if we're going to continue as we are continuing to be people of his word, to study it and try to live it and develop community, it doesn't mean we're not going to have struggles. We are. Our, the strength of our unity, in fact, the source of our unity, and even the evidence of our love is going to be how we go through those difficult situations. Those of you who are old enough to have been in churches 
for, you know, most of your life like I have. If I could just do like this little survey in my head of difficulties churches faced where it revealed their unity, difficulties that churches faced where it revealed their weakness, this list would be way longer. And I'm not even sure I can produce one thing on this list. I haven't been at this church for more than about eight years. Some of you have been with this church longer, and you might know. What happened when this church faced difficulties? Did it reveal the strength, the unity, the love, the Spirit of God? Or did it reveal something else? I don't want us to look at the past. I don't want to look at all the other churches I've been a part of and think about that. I just want to say, what I want us to be is I want us to be the, the church that is so united, so in love with God, so in love with His Word, so in love with each other, that when the storms come, and whether they're storms from within the church or storms from outside the church, that it reveals Christ in us. It reveals His power, His love. And here's what I know. I don't know what your heart's like. I don't know where your, you know, where you kind of think, you know, your spiritual growth is. Are you still more about yourself and less about Jesus? Or maybe you, you're getting to the point where it's more about following Christ. I don't know where you are. I know where I am. And I know I still struggle enough to know that it's not, if, if, if we stay together, if we go through the storms as a church and we stay together, it's not going to be because of me. I know, I can tell you that. It's not going to be because of my great ability to hold a group together. It's not going to be because of, of the goodness I can generate. But it's going to be because we have become a people and a church that is so in love with God, so in love with each other, that we can weather any storm and the world will see it and the world will know something different is going on here. Paul, you know, is, you know, he, he's, he doesn't have to learn this lesson at this point. This has been his life since he started following Christ. He left a really good life in the worldly sense. He was a Pharisee. He was well-respected, well-educated, probably married, might have had a family. He had everything set up. Plus, he was kind of like this rising star among the Pharisees. Who knows, if he continued on that career path, he might have been in charge of the whole Pharisee place. And he leaves all that to follow Christ. And then if you just look at Paul's life from a worldly standpoint, he left successful career, 
stable life for being attacked, falsely accused of crimes, stoned to death once and left for dead, thrown in prison, an outcast among his own people and his own family, various plots on his life, having spent at least two years in prison, and he's about to spend two more, and now he finds himself in the middle of a storm that he was trying to get people to avoid. If someone explained that to you, that that's their life, and they didn't add the God part, you would go, what did you do wrong? You know, <laughs> why are you being punished? But get this. Paul went through all of that, not because he's being punished, but because he was being faithful. Faithful. There are so many times in Paul's ministry where he could have stopped. And not, I don't mean stop doing ministry. He could have stopped and said, you know what? This church at Ephesus, we're pretty far out. You know, we, we've moved the gospel. It, it's, you know, we need, we got this stronghold here. I like this church at Ephesus. They get it. If I can just stay here and invest the rest of my life and grow this one church, then we, for generations, will be able to, to go and reach the rest. He, he could have made up all kind of plans and justified it all in his mind of, of staying and, and not facing the trials that were ahead. But he couldn't because he was following Christ wherever Christ would lead. And he never assumed, wow, you know, in Ephesus, God must want me to stay here because we're having success. God must want me to stay here because the numbers are growing. God must want me to stay here because this church gets it. They really love each other. They really love God. They understand grace. They understand the gospel. I should stay here. That must be what God wants. No, he's going to follow God wherever God leads. I don't have a lot of action points for this morning, but I have this one. I have this one. And I'm going to tell you, it's, you, 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 you might not be here yet, and it's okay. But here's, what, here's the action point. We shouldn't pray for an easy, trouble-free life. We shouldn't pray that everything will work out the way we think it should work out. We shouldn't pray for calm seas. We should pray to be led by God and used by God, whether we're in the calm or the storms of life. That's how we should pray. Unless I make a mistake and I slip up, you will never hear me pray for our missionary team to say, God, I hope they go and it's trouble-free. No, I want it to be trouble-free. I want our missionary teams to, to be safe and to be protected. But I, 
more than all of that, you know what I want? I want God to use them. And I don't want to limit the way God uses them to what I've planned or to what they've planned. That's Paul. And remember, Paul is not reckless. Paul is not saying, hey, storms that way, guys, let's go. No, he's trying to tell them, storms that way, go this way. And you know what would have happened had they gone this way? First of all, they would have had the winds with them, and they would have easily made it to a suitable port. But Paul would have been faithful there. If they had listened to Paul, Paul would have been faithful in that nice port, waiting for winter to finish. But they went the other way. They went into the storm. And you know when they got into the middle of the storm, you know what Paul was? He was faithful. He was faithful. Didn't matter where he was. It was about being faithful because he knew no other way to be but to be faithful. But this is what God knows. If his children, if his followers, if his people are faithful in every situation, it sends a message to the world. It shows the world the difference Christ makes in our lives. It's okay to want calm seas. But we shouldn't want calm seas above God wanting to use us. We shouldn't try to find the path of least resistance unless God says follow that path. The second thing we see in 9 through 13 We see Paul living out this thing we've talked about before about how you know, Jesus says and then Paul will also write that we should love our enemies. We should bless our enemies. And here's Paul. He's this example of faithfulness, but he's also this example of grace. They don't... These are people who consider themselves his enemy. And he helps them. But get it, Paul's not trying to like curry favor. Oh, if I give them good advice, they'll let me go. No, Paul's not trying to escape. Paul doesn't want to escape. Paul wants to go see the emperor. And we all know why. Because Paul's just, you can say crazy enough, or just faithful enough that he's going to stand before the emperor and he's going to share the gospel to the emperor. He doesn't want to escape. He's going to help them. And so he gives them this advice. And they, they don't listen. He doesn't, you know, he could have gone and sulked. And then when things got really bad, he could have said, well, I'm not going to tell them what the angel told me. I'm just going to let them panic. Now, there's no reason for the centurion and, and the sailors to listen to him. But he tries to help anyways. I'm always reminded of the story of this 
uh, Anabaptists, and I don't have time to go into all the Anabaptist history, but basically, you know, the Anabaptists were like the more radical reformers. You always hear about, you know, Martin Luther and John Calvin. The Anabaptists were more radical. And some of them would be, um, they, they would actually be persecuted not just by the Catholic Church, they would also be persecuted by some of the Protestant churches. And there's the story of one of their leaders who gets put in prison and he's awaiting to be executed. And of course he's in prison, so he's probably also been tortured to some level. But something happens where he's able to kind of get out. And, and he's kind of escaping and there's like kind of like a moat by the castle, but it's winter and it's frozen over. So he runs across and he gets away. The guy who's chasing him, the ice cracks and he falls in. And you all know what you would do. You all know that if you helped, you would help in a way that you would still get away. Some of you might not even help. You might pretend you didn't hear or think like, oh, he can swim. But this guy went back and he helped the guy. Then he's back in prison and a couple days later he gets executed. It's grace. It's love. If it seems strange and weird to you, it should because it's not normal. It's from God. It's not natural. In verses 14 through 25, 14 through 25, then this storm really hits. That storm is a tempestuous wind. The Greek uses the word typhoon. It's a strong, powerful wind. And their ships, you know, were kind of at the mercy of the wind. And so, in 14 through 25, it just gets worse and worse. And you can go through it and you can see what's happening. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to be clever about how they sail. They're, it's still difficult. They try to, to resupport the ship. They eventually have to, like, throw the cargo off, which is probably the main reason they risk this. And then they start throwing off the, the tackle, you know, the, the parts of the, the ship that makes everything work. You even find where they be, some of them begin to pray to their gods. And it gets progressively worse. They don't have food. It's been two weeks. On our flight back here, the weather was rough when we took off for 15, 20 minutes. And I was so sick. You know, my head starts sweating. That's, if you're ever with me traveling, you want to know if I'm sick, see my head sweat. I was so sick. Two weeks? I don't know what I would I probably would have just jumped in the water. I tell people this. There have been times I've been on planes when I've been so airsick that I have kind of prayed the plane would crash. Um, you're like, I'll never get on a plane with you. But, <laughs> but two weeks 
after already having the first part of the journey being really difficult. Two weeks. But here's the point. Here's the point. It's crazy. It's desperate. It's dark. They can't even see the stars. And in the middle of that, what the angel reassures God is, or reassures Paul is, God's plan hasn't changed. His plan hasn't changed. God's plan does not change because of our situation. If God said, Paul, you're going to Rome, you're going to Rome, even though right now you're in the, a hopeless situation where it seems there's no escape, where most of the time everybody dies and nobody ever knows what happened to them until 2,000 years or later when marine archaeologists go down and find the ship. Okay? No one knows. That's what usually happens, but that's not what happens here. This angel comes, and this angel, first of all, assures Paul, not only has God's plan not changed in terms of you going to Rome, but he gave Paul a little more insight about God's plan. He said, you know what? Nobody here is going to die. They're going to lose the ship, but nobody's going to die. Again, now Paul, who had shown grace to his enemies, God does the same. There's nearly 300 people on this ship. And because of Paul's faithfulness, and because of God's grace, they're going to be saved when it would have been a miracle if even one or two of them had survived. And then finally, verses 27 through 32. Again, so much has happened in the midst of this terrible situation. And now these sailors are trying to you know, come up with this scheme to escape the ship. And Paul could have just been quiet. And we're not, you know, again, totally sure all that's going through Paul's mind. But we know that this, these are the desperate acts of desperate men. These are the selfish acts of selfish men. And perhaps Paul is not just thinking about everybody else on the ship, but he's also thinking about them to stop them from doing something stupid. And so he says something. Again, remember, Paul's a prisoner. The sailors are the experts, and then you have the Roman soldiers and the, the Roman centurion who's in charge. You have all of these people. Who is Paul to say anything? But he does. Paul doesn't sit there and go, yeah, I know what they're doing, but, you know, it's kind of weird. Ah, man, if I say that, then the sailors are going to be mad at me. No. Because Paul understands something that I think sometimes as Christians we don't always understand, that when we follow God, when we follow Christ, when we extend grace, it can be awkward, 
and it can be dangerous. We always think grace is, if I extend grace to someone, that you know, they're going to be so grateful. They're going to understand. It doesn't work that way. Paul intervenes. He intervenes. And we'll get the rest of the story next week. But I want to end on this point. This is very, there's so much that's similar between the way Luke talks about Paul and the way Luke talks about Jesus. But I want to point out this important difference. When Jesus was caught up in a storm, when Jesus was caught up in a storm, and his disciples are frightened. What does Jesus do? He calms the storm. Paul never prays for the storm to be calm. Instead, he remains faithful in the midst of the storm. Sometimes, God wants us to be the kind of, of, of ministers in a situation that we're going to calm storms. And sometimes He wants us to be there, to be there in the midst of other people's storms, to be faithful, to minister, to witness. The other big difference is this. Later on, as Jesus is facing his trials and his cross, he's going to die on the cross. Paul, in this story, is going to be set free. Don't assume everything working out the way we think it should work out is God's will. Whether the storms are called or calmed or the we have to live within the storms. Whether faithfulness leads to the cross or faithfulness leads to freedom, just be faithful. Be faithful in every situation. 